Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I am super grateful you are here again with me this week. So one of the privileges, the true privileges I have as a coach is I get to hear people's stories. I get to hear them in my one-on-one coaching practice, and I also get to hear them in our Women Leading Powerfully Leadership Lab which is our 12-week group coaching program that Lori Tab and myself have created for women who are looking for the clarity, the confidence, and the community to really move forward in their career and their life. And Lori and I talk about it all the time. It's, it is truly one of the greatest privileges we get as coaches to hear people's stories. They're what connect us. They inspire us. They make us cry. We hear about people's challenges and triumphs and struggles. And we have compassion. Stories can also bring out anger and frustration. They can move us to take action and do something different. They truly connect us to the human experience. And if you're anything like me during COVID, you've watched plenty of stories through the lens of Netflix because I know I've watched plenty of TV, more TV than I ever have in my entire life. But that is the power of storytelling, which is why I'm so thrilled to introduce you to my next guest. Gabrielle Dolan is considered a global expert in business storytelling and real communication. She is a highly sought after keynote speaker. She is the best-selling author of seven books including her latest, which I have a copy of, called Magnetic Stories. And Magnetic Stories was a finalist in three categories in their International Book Awards this year. It's so great. You have to pick up a copy. You can buy it on Amazon. And please go do that. Please support Gabrielle because she really has so much packed into this amazing book. Her client list is extensive, including the likes of Visa, Amazon, Uber, and the Obama Foundation, where she got to meet Barack Obama. And I cannot wait to find out more about that particular story, because I was having such a good time in the interview with her. This is the one question I forgot to ask her. So I'm going to have to have Gabrielle back on another podcast episode to tell us that story, because I'm sure it's a good one. She's also the founder of Jargon Free Fridays, which you will hear. She hates acronyms and she will never use the word pivot. So you'll have to hear why, her why around that. But, you know, she talks about the, the stories you need to tell for both your company brand as well as your leadership brand. So listen in for those. And she talks about how stories, again, connect us. They connect us to our teams. They connect us to our stakeholders. They connect us to our clients. And at the end of the day, they connect us to ourselves. And if you're a woman listening to this episode, which most of you are, and you have a preconceived notion about what Barbie represents in our society and to our little girls, you have to listen to Gabrielle's story about the true story behind Barbie, because I guarantee you it will change your mind about Barbie because it changed mine. So I can't wait to dive into the episode so you can hear my conversation with Gabrielle. And before I do that, I know I've been talking about this a lot, but we are running our last Women Leading Powerfully Leadership Lab starting on September 20th. 
So if you're ready to write your own life story, if you're ready to rewrite your brand story for who you are as a leader, then sign up for the program. It's an amazing program. You will absolutely be intentional about what you do moving forward in writing your own story. So I really highly suggest you do it. We have testimonials. You can go to YouTube and you can search Women Leading Powerfully for our YouTube channel where you can hear the stories that women share about their experience inside the Women Leading Powerfully Leadership Lab. So again, our doors close. We are starting the program on September 20th. Sign up now. Go to natalie at corecreationcoaching.com. I'm happy to have a conversation with you. Send me an email. We'll set up a time to talk. And until then, let's dive in and talk about the power of stories with Gabrielle Dolan, who I had so much fun doing this interview with. So if by the end of this episode, you're like, I need more of Gabrielle Dolan, go to her website, gabrieldolan.com forward slash starter kit. And she has a free seven day storytelling starter kit for you, which you'll get more of Gabrielle and more of her expertise and insights on how to tell great stories. And after you subscribe to her seven day storytelling starter kit, I invite you to really put it into action. How are you going to start sharing more stories with your team, with your key stakeholders, with your clients to really get them engaged and to build your leadership brand? So while you're thinking about the commitment on when and how you'll do that, let's dive into the conversation with Gabrielle. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Gabrielle, it's so great to have you here today. Thank you for joining the podcast. And I would love if you would just start out by sharing a little bit about yourself, where you're calling in from, and a little bit about your career history. Well, I'm calling in from Melbourne, Australia. So um, I have, I've lived and worked in Melbourne all my life, which is um, which is pretty common in Australia. I know it's not very common in America. People travel for work and travel for study, but I've lived in Melbourne all my life. I'm uh, if we go real, real far back, I'm one of eight children, and I say that because I think it's sort of eight uh, children. Has, That's yeah, a lot. and I'm I know it was a lot, and I'm the sixth. So there was, uh, I think, I think, I think being from a really big family, or being from really, I think your family sort of influences the way you become and the way you are as a parent and the way you are as a leader. Sure. So I mention it for that reason. Um, but I started my career when in uh, corporate Australia, so in uh, one of Australia's largest companies, National Australia Bank, and I was there for about 17 years. I started in technology and then I sort of moved out of technology I think I moved out before I realized I, I wanted I realized I had no idea what I was doing. I thought it's best to move out before <laughs> other people realize that. Um, but I got into like uh, training and development and leadership development uh, in technology and then sort of 
went into sort of some change management and project management, senior leadership roles. And it was sort of there that I started to discover, I guess, the power of storytelling in leadership. And so I left 17 years ago. So I was in corporate for 17 and I'm coming up to being out of corporate for 17 years ago and for the last 17 years being teaching business people, business leaders, how to communicate more effectively using storytelling. That's phenomenal. Okay, so first of all, eight kids, that's a lot. That's that's a big family. And so I'm curious, what did you learn from those early days of being in a big family about about storytelling? Yeah, I, I do often joke that maybe my um, passion for storytelling came around the dinner table where, you know, one of eight, so literally 10 people around the table, that uh, the only way to get anyone's attention was to tell a good story. So, <laughs> and, you know, I think, I think look, that's just the way one of big families, that's what you did. You just sort of talked about your day and what happened. And my dad, my dad was a good storyteller. Like he'd always, I don't know, I don't know how many of them are true, but he'd often tell stories about, you know, growing up in country Australia and like my, and my, my mum would always be going, that didn't happen. He's going, I'm sure it happened. <laughs> that's great. I love that. Well, and I love I love what you're sharing in terms of, you know, you have to be a good storyteller in order to get somebody's attention. So I'm curious to know, as you transitioned from corporate, because I, I love the topic of storytelling. That's exactly why you're here today. And I also love your story about pivoting your career, because I know so many of my listeners are in corporate roles that maybe they're not super fulfilled in. Um, maybe they're looking to make a transition. And that was a that's a big transition from what you were doing to having your own business. And so I would love if you would just maybe spend a few minutes talking about how did you make that transition? Because I always I always love when people have those type of stories, if they can share a little bit about that, because I find it encourages my listeners and is is always typically inspirational. So mm. Yeah, I often like I often have people saying, "Oh, what I did was so brave, and it was a big risk." And I guess when you look at it from the outside, it sort of was. But I at the mo- at the time, I didn't. And um, Natalie, I still remember the exact moment I had decided to do it. So it wasn't if I. It's not as if I wasn't fulfilled in my corporate career. I actually loved my corporate career. Working f- with a large organization, you've got a lot of opportunity to not only change jobs, but change careers actually. So, you know, I went from being in technology to being in, you know, leadership and development to being in change management and project management stuff. So I sort of did enjoy my my career. What what had happened is we'd been going through um, quite a lot of restructures and at the end I decided to apply for one job and it was a really senior, I think it was like it was the head of learning for the entire organisation. So it was a pretty senior role. And um, I remember sitting in the meeting when I was going to be told whether I got the job or not and um, the woman who I knew quite well, who I would have been working with, she um, she said, this has been one of my toughest decisions but I've decided not to offer you the job for a whole lot of reasons, And um, which was fine. And she just looked at me and she said, what do you think you're going to do? And I just remember saying, I think it's time to go. And... Um, I can still recall her leaning over the desk and putting her hand on my arm and she said, I think it's time for you to go too. She goes, you have been actually talking about wanting to do run your own company and do your own thing. She goes, why don't you do it? And so I remember ringing my 
husband who ironically just worked across the road from me, but we never really spoke during work hours. So he goes, why are you calling? And I said, I've decided to leave. And he went, well, if that's what you want to do, I'll fully support you. He goes, I'm sure you've Mm. thought about it well and hard. And I'm thinking, no, I haven't. I haven't actually thought about it well and hard (laughs) at all. But um, Natalie, what happened? I was was working on a project. So I sort of said, why don't I stay to the end of the project, which was about four months away. So I did stay for another four months and every day I kept I kept waiting for the day where I would wake up and go, what have you done? And it never came. And look, you know, I know we were in a we were in um, you know, a good good position financially that, you know, my husband had a he earned a good wage. Uh, but the reality was I, I earned a better wage. And so and I only say that because as as a team, we decided, you know, you you drop you drop 60% of your income, it's um, still there. So, And there was part of me, and I, and I knew I wanted to go out and teach people storytelling. I, I, I had this thing that because I'd done leadership development and delivery before and be, I'd started to notice storytelling as a powerful way to communicate and influence in business, I knew it was something I could sort of teach people. Uh, well, I was hoping it was something I could teach people. I had um, we had two daughters who were two and um, five at the time, so part of me thought, oh, if it doesn't really work out, it's it's okay. I'm home with the kids, and I can always go back and get another job. So that that's sort of what I was thinking. So I didn't actually think it was a big risk, but um, sure, but yeah, I guess it was. But you know, you just give it a crack. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what I love that you're sharing in terms of your mindset is sometimes I think we get into this mindset of it's black or white, right? Either I stay at my corporate job or literally I'm going to be homeless, <laughs> you know? And it's like those are the polar extremes that we go to. And I love that you you thought about all the different scenarios. Well, you know, it could work out and that's what I'm hoping and planning it will because I have all this experience I bring to the table. Um, if it doesn't work out, I could, you know, I've already talked about that. It works with our family. I can be at home with the kids. And so, like, the worst case scenario wasn't that bad. Yeah. And I, I, and I often think when you're talking about, well, like, taking a risk or taking it's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And to me, the worst thing that could happen is this whole concept of storytelling. No one buys it, which means, okay, well, I'll just try it for a year or so and and be home with the kids and then go back and get another corporate job. So it's not that bad. Exactly. Exactly. So thank you for sharing the story. I appreciate it. And so I'm curious, you you start you started this company based on the on storytelling. So I'm curious, what is it about stories that you think is so powerful that you started an entire company based on storytelling? Well, so what I had noticed, what I'd noticed after the the, the last couple of years is that you, you like you go to a conference, for example, and you'd see speaker after speaker after speaker, and you'd walk away going, you know, he was a really great speaker, she was a brilliant speaker, and you're going, why were they so good? And then you go, they were actually sharing stories, so it really engaged you. What I noticed is the really good leaders that I noticed at um, in corporate were sharing stories. I actually. In my last couple of roles at in corporate, the last couple of years, it was in change management, and so my job was to go out and communicate to the business units um, this change. And you're literally trying to influence the entire organisation to buy into this change. 
And I started to experiment myself with sharing stories. And it was just, it, it, it could be something, a personal story from, from my experience. And when I say personal, it's not like overly emotional or personal. It's just not related to work, which, which makes them more engaging. And what I noticed right. is people would actually not only understand the message better, but would remember the message because they've remembered the story. So, I mean, you know, you, you, not knowing that, but, you know, when I left, I did delve into the science a bit that, you know, we're humans and therefore we are hardwired to share stories. It's the way we communicate and we can't, we can't ignore that just because we're in business. We can do our very best. And in business people, we have this ridiculous bias towards logic and facts and figures and not, you know, how many times have we been told works, works, personal, personal, don't mix the two, you know, keep emotion out of business. It, if, when you're dealing with humans, by default, you mm-hmm. are dealing with emotional beings and we we buy in on stuff based on emotion, whether we're buying a pair of shoes or the latest technology gadget or we're buying into a strategy or we're buying into a purpose or we're buying into values. People do that on emotion. And, and yes, you need the logic. It, it all needs to make logical sense. I'm not saying for a second that we don't ignore like don't communicate the logic and facts and figures but sure in business we just have this bias to only communicating stuff through logic and facts and figures and and we and then we get really frustrated why our change doesn't work and we get really frustrated why no one understands the values it's because you can't communicate values through bullet points do it through stories mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so valuable what you're sharing and i completely agree with you on every level so we talked about why stories are so powerful in business, it, bringing that that emotional connection to the message. So from your book, you talk about the five types of stories that every business needs. I would love for you to share that. Yeah. So my latest, my latest book, all my previous books have been uh, specifically designed for leaders in business, in corporate. So uh, Stories for Work, for example, was all the different, just a whole heap of examples of stories that leaders could share. My latest book, Magnetic Stories, has a bit of an external focus. So, and what, because what, and I sort of wrote it to digress a bit. So what I wrote is a lot of people were talking about how to implement brand storytelling. So, both to connect with customers and employees. And I and I think, um, Natalie, what's happened over the last few years with social media, that that communication between our employees and our customers is blurred. Often, a lot of the time, we're communicating to both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, if we put something out on social media for our customers, I mean, by default, you're communicating to your employees as well. So I do talk about the types of stories a company could share. When I was writing the book, I didn't have a number in mind. In fact, I, I had a whole section was like the X number of stories people need to share. But I had so much fun researching for this book because I got to speak to companies from all around the world. Um, Columbia restaurants in Florida do amazing stuff with stories. Um, to you know, they're just from uh, hotels in Singapore to just all these amazing companies. And what I noticed is the stories sort of fell into five categories. So hence why I came up with the five. Now, they all start with C because I do, It's it was sort of coincidental, but with a little bit of tweaking because I do like a good palette that they all start with C. <laughs> and so very quickly, the, the, um, the their culture, so um, culture stories. So this is, this is leaders communicating the values or sharing stories about um, your employees living and breathing the values, which, 
which is what your culture is in the company. So culture stories, creation stories. So that's either how the company started or how a product started. A lot of people really mess, mess that up when they're doing story. A lot of companies, they'll do their creation story and you look at it, it's just a timeline. You get, that's not a story. So we've got creation stories, we've got culture stories. We've got customer stories, so stories about your customers. Now, try to avoid these just being testimonials or reviews, but it's like make your customer the hero. We've got um, community stories, so all the the good things that your employees are doing in the community. It doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be about anything you do as a company, but if you're making your employees the heroes, it sort of it, it throws a really good light on you as a company. And then the final one is challenge stories. How have you responded? Uh, how has the company responded to challenges and what they've done? And normally when a company responds to challenges, it, it brings in their value, so it can be culture stories as well. So you don't have to get too hung up on what type of story it is. It's um, just trying to find all these different types of stories. I could have easily had another C coronavirus stories, but it's like <laughs> they, they tend to fall into the challenge stories recently. So the biggest mistake I see companies make when they talk about storytelling is they just focus on one. They, they, they focus on a creation story, for example. But the sure. book really is about helping them think about all the other types of stories that they could share because um, it's all those stories that determine your brand. It's all those stories that determine what people think about you and say about you as both a company and a leader. Sure. I love what you shared in terms of, uh, yes, I think COVID could be its own C, right? But again, falling under how companies handle challenges and how companies have ha handled challenges like the social unrest and the social injustice, as well as, you know, are we being performative or are we really sharing a story about how we are internally addressing things? you know, the social injustice that is happening? How are we addressing COVID with our employees? What are we doing differently? So I love that you shared that. And I'm curious, you said that a lot of companies get the creation story wrong and they share it kind of as a timeline. What should they be doing differently? One of the things I've noticed on websites is the about us has changed to our story. And I get in and look and go, oh, here's going to be a good story. And nine times out of 10, it's not a story. It's, it's, it's a timeline. So there's a, there's a couple of companies that do this well, that it, it still could be a timeline where, you know, in 1850, we started this, but have little snippets like, you know, share the stories about the founder or share the stories about a significant event that happened that made the company change direction or why did they merge with this. So it's almost like sharing the why this happened, why this happened. And it could just be, a, so a timeline could be um, sort of punctured with little, little stories. But it's also, um, you know, creation stories about how the product started as well, for example. One of um one of my and that's why I called it a creation story because if it's just how the company started, that's normally what we call the founder story or the origin sure. story. One of um, I'll, I'll give a great example, Natalie, of of um, one of my favorite creation stories. So when I was growing up, one of eight children, as you've heard about, uh, I I spent a lot of time with my brothers and playing you know football and cricket and riding my BMX bike, and I wasn't I wasn't really into dolls. So I never had a Barbie doll. And over the last decades, a few decades, where Barbie has sort of copped a bit of a bad name as being, you know, 
bad role model for girls, you know, sure. poor body image, all that. I happily went along with that um, story. And I I never bought my girls Barbies. And I think I might have even told my grandparents that they weren't allowed to buy the girls Barbies. <laughs> this is what my entrenched view <laughs> that Barbie was such a bad role model for girls. Researching for the book, I discovered the backstory of Barbie. And so Barbie was invented by Ruth Handler, who was the wife of one of the um, co-founders of Mattel that make Barbie. And what she noticed in the 50s was that her she had she had a daughter and a son, and when they were both playing with their respective dolls, both of them imagined themselves as adults. But while her son, Ken, could was encouraged to imagine himself as an astronaut or a firefighter or a superhero, her daughter, Barbara, and yes, Ken and Barbie are named after her children, her daughter Barbara could only imagine herself as a caregiver. That was the only option in the dolls. Mm -hmm. So she pitched this idea of, you know, a doll, a 3D doll, plastic doll with clothes you could change around. And initially they were really reluctant to do this, but she persisted. And in 1959, Barbie debuted at the New York Toy Fair. And as I say in the classics, the rest is history. But there's a quote from Ruth Handler that says, um, to me, Barbie always represented that the little girl had choices and the, her whole philosophy of Barb, of Barbie was that women have choices and that the little girl could imagine herself to be whatever she wanted to be. And when I saw that quote, it completely changed my opinion of Barbie and the brand Barbie. And I all, but I also thought, what a missed opportunity. Like I, I had to, I had to, I had to search for that story really hard. Right. And I thought, what a missed opportunity that that story is not front and center of their website, that that story is not on every single Barbie packaging doll, because, you know, clearly that message is as relevant today as it was mm-hmm. in the 1950s. And that would, it, people read my book and it's, it's almost like the first feedback they give me, both men and women, go, you have completely changed my opinion of Barbie. That's 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 <laughs> well, a story that resonates. I will add to the list because you completely just changed my my position on Barbie. I had no idea about that story. And obviously it goes to the power of storytelling and yeah. the power of sharing our stories and the why behind what we're doing is so important. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that story because I I was not aware of that. And I think I had jumped on the bandwagon as well of kind of all the negative press that, you know, Barbie's gotten over the years and all kind of all the negative stereotypes. But I think you bring up yeah. a really and, it, and it's one of the one of the one of the reasons I wrote the book is is because there's so many stories and companies aren't realizing the power of them. Yeah. Um I remember quite a few years ago I ran a session with a client. They, they were a bank. So, you know, Banks don't have the best reputation as well. And I ran a, a like, a, I ran this story collecting um, session with them where you find out all these really cool stories that the, the employees are doing. And I took my assistant along to help record the stories. And when she walked out, she went, why don't they share these stories? Because hearing all these stories about the amazing things they're doing has, has completely changed my opinion of the company. And so it's just, that's the whole concept of why I called it a magnetic story is because once you hear it, once you hear that story, it's almost like you have this instant attraction to it. It's pretty hard to pull away from. Um, so it's just, it's just, 
it's just helping people realize the power of stories and, and then helping them find them and share them. Yeah. So thank you for sharing, Gabrielle. I love that. And, you know, your latest book is called Magnetic Stories. Um, but I also know that you're the author of a total of seven books. So I know I would never ask your parents this of which one was their favorite kid. <laughs> But I am oh, curious. Come on, come on. We all have favorite kids, don't we? <laughs> I, I'm it, changes, the- <laughs> it changes on a daily basis. <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. But yes, you're right. Um, <laughs> so only because my kids never listen to my podcast. So they're never going to hear me say that. But I'm curious, which one of your books is your favorite? And, and I'm, you know, what inspired you to write Magnetic Stories specifically? Yeah, look, I think the I think your latest one's always your your, your favorite. <laughs> uh, I, I would say I'd say I've got two. I've got two favorite. Magnetic stories is my latest one, and um, the reason I love it is because it's uh, it's they just it's so many stories of companies and people and leaders sharing their stories, and it's it, like even if even if you weren't in business and weren't interested in storytelling at all you could actually just read it and hear some really cool stories my other one is stories for work and what I love about that that's another whole collection of stories that leaders have used so stories for presentations stories for values rollout stories for change stories for job interviews so it's just a whole collection of stories which is which is really cool but um yeah my magnetic stories is probably my favorite at the moment because it's my latest um but yeah the and the reason I wrote it is because was sort of what we talked about I would hear people share stories and I would be saying why aren't you share like what like they tell me a story over you know a coffee or a wine but they weren't sharing them like it wasn't on their sure. website or they weren't sharing them and I would also see a lot of companies trying to implement brand storytelling and doing it wrong I would just be sitting there going that's not a story that's not a story and so you know you can only get frustrated enough to then go (laughs) you know what I think I'm gonna write a book about this yeah so so you mentioned that before too in terms of the difference between a a story and hopefully a powerful story and then what you see companies doing wrong like not really telling their story or trying and getting it wrong what what missteps do you see companies making most often so when they're trying so when they think so i'll start with that last one when they're trying um what i see is that they're not share they're sharing they think sharing one story so this is the one story Uh, um like our one brand story there's no such thing as one brand story it's like all these stories make up your brand so the thing they're doing wrong is they're only sharing one story and then because it's only one story, they're trying to capture everything and it ends up being a timeline. It, it, it just ends up being not a story. It sure. seems to be a logical sequence of events, which is a timeline. So first of all, nothing wrong with timelines. People are into timelines, I guess, maybe, but call it a timeline. It's not a story. So that that's what I see them mainly doing wrong. Uh, um, and then they share it and they're using jargon and just just, you know, words that don't mean anything. And then the other thing we've talked about that with they've got stories, but they just don't understand the power of it and why people would be interested. I, I remember sitting over at dinner once at a and at a, a conference I was speaking at, and um, after my keynote, I was sitting down, and this woman was just 
telling me what she does and she runs a couple of child minding centers and and I sort of went oh how did you get into that and she goes well I used to be a dentist but then I got into this and I was like wow that's a big shift what happened and she just she's told me she goes oh me and my husband were, were trying to get pregnant for a very long time and we eventually did and when I got to the point of going back to work, I was trying to find a childcare centre that I would put my son, that would put our son in. And she goes, and every childcare centre I walked into, I thought I'm not happy to leave my son here. Sure. He he would not love this. She goes, I wanted a childcare centre that he would love, and she goes, I couldn't find anyone, so I decided to buy one and turn turn it into something he would love. And then I bought a few more, and I just looked at her and I go, please tell me that story is on your website. And she went, no, no, she goes, we do talk about it internally, but we don't talk about it externally. And I just thought, could you imagine looking for a childcare centre for your child and you just read that story? It'd be... Sign me up. Sign me up. It's exactly. exactly sign, what it would sign, be. sign me, up. me up. So I saw this a lot where people, where she would go, oh, no one would be interested. I don't, I don't think it's appropriate to share externally. And I'm just going, oh, that is... That would be the most powerful marketing or advertising thing you could ever do. Yeah. So what is it? You know, obviously, uh, there's a lot of people that are holding back from sharing their stories. And I think sometimes it can be that people don't know what makes a compelling story, what maybe they think is kind of everyday news to them, right? Could be a compelling story. So what, maybe if you could touch upon, what are the components of a compelling story you know that you f- would feel comfortable sharing yeah so i think it, try to try to to me it's like try to remove all the logical data from the story so when we're trying to bring in oh in this year we did this and this year it, it becomes so remove remove the data and the logic and the facts and the figures you still need them you still need them but almost treat them as separate to the story so it's like you've got you've got a story and you've got all the logical reasons the facts and figures almost like sort of i sometimes refer to them as batman and robin you know you need both they're a dynamic they're a dynamic duo for a reason batman and robin the other thing bring in be prepared to bring in emotion to the story now when i say emotion it doesn't have to be emotional but perhaps it's using language and showing vulnerability like you know for example that story i just shared is like you know me and my husband really struggled to have children for over 10 years a lot of people would go oh well that's personal no one needs to know that so we don't we leave it out where you sort of go well that's that's sort of part of it that's why this was so important to them um as opposed to you know they could say uh, when I was looking for a childcare centre for my child, we couldn't find anyone, so we bought one. And that that seems pretty matter of fact. But if yeah. you talk about if you talk about the struggles, so a lot of the time, as opposed to the good outcome, what were the struggles? Where were the moments of um, self doubt? Where were the moments? Where were the hardships you had to fight through? Because that's sort of what we connect with as humans. So showing some vulnerability being a bit more personal and thinking, oh, that's too personal, uh, it's not business, so we, we, we won't do it. They're, they're the main things. Um, keeping it short, like, you know, people are interested in your story, but they're not interested in your story if it takes 10 minutes to tell. So mm-hmm. keep, <laughs> keep it really short and succinct. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, be, be prepared to – it's showing the why. It's showing really the why you wanted to do it. That's, that's what makes a good story. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's funny, um, Natalie, I've got I bought a piece of artwork for my office and I'm 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 just looking at it, hence why I reminded you uh, thought of it. It's from Wordsmith, I think artist he does like graffiti art and it says um there's a picture of a typewriter and it the, the quote says truth be told the odds are not in your favor but that's what will make it such a great story and that's uh, so just you know don't if you've gone through hardship be prepared to share it because that's what will make it a great story because that's as humans what we relate to yeah and it's so interesting you share that because when my business partner and I we have our group coaching program called Women Leading Powerfully. It's a 12-week group coaching course. And one of the first things we do is we have women share their stories. And we really take it away from don't share your title and your business and what you do. It's share your story. How did you get? Who are you? How did you get to where you are? Um, what are some of the challenges? What are some of the struggles? What are some of the peak moments that you've had? And it's so interesting because the groups get so connected after that night when they're sharing their stories, again, just reiterating the power of storytelling that they share with us. Oh my gosh, I never knew that people struggled with the same things I struggled with. I know, I, I now feel and know that I'm not alone. I mean, that night is so inspirational and so powerful, not only for the women, but I find it and Lori finds it as well. Such a privilege to listen to all of the women's stories. And I also coach for an organization called Chief and Chief does something very similar to what we do. And um, I just got off a call right before this call of the women sharing their stories. And I, again, they they came into the call so overwhelmed and frustrated and kind of transitioning from their day at work on a Monday. And by the end of the call, they just said, wow, I, I, I feel so energized and so inspired by everything I heard here today. And I'm just grateful for all the women for sharing so uh, authentically mm. and vulnerably. Yeah. You know? And Natalie, what you said, often um, I see some some companies that want to find stories and they'll go out and say, so tell me a story or tell me your story. And like it, en- it ends up when, when you sort of say to someone, tell me your story, it ends up being a bit of a timeline because they feel like they need to give you your resume. Um, but it's, it's when you like ask those questions about tell me something you've really had a challenge with or the highlight or as humans, they're going to tell you a story and, and they tell you and that's what people connect with. I, I have a similar experience when I run, I run my storytelling workshops. Um, at the end, I put them all into little groups to actually share a story about one of the messages or the values they wanted to communicate. And I always debrief it. And when I debrief it, the first question I ask is, tell me what you liked about that. And without mm-hmm. fail, everyone goes, I feel so much closer to the people that I've yes. just shared my story with. And that's, it's not the reason you're sharing the story. The reason, you know, when I run my storytelling workshops, the, it's a very practical reason. The reason you're doing it is to communicate a message, is to communicate your company values or your strategy or your vision or whatever. Mm-hmm. The added benefit is everyone now has a close relationship. And when you're talking about leadership, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to strengthen the relationships, not only with your immediate team or maybe your business units or stakeholders that you have to work with or your customers that's what we're trying to do we're trying to you know strengthen relationships all the time yeah i love that and maybe gabrielle can you share with us from all of your research who are companies or individuals that are that do storytelling really well that we can you know go and look up and and see what they're doing 
yeah look it, it's hard to it's hard to pick a few I'm not, well I will go to my book because there's quite a few in the book so um uh, I spoke to so many different companies to sure. research for the book that some companies were doing amazing things with storytelling that they warrant their own chapter so there was there was five I actually chose and one that may be very familiar with your audience is Columbia Restaurants in Florida. So they are the oldest restaurant in um, Florida. And the reason I the reason I found out about them is someone I know was having lunch there, and she took a photo of their menu, and she goes, "You've got to you've got to see what they did. They had little mini stories on their menu." And when I researched it, they got. Their, their wine list is like a book because they have stories about all the wine and the, and the vineyards they buy from. If you look at their website, it's seriously like a little Netflix movie that you, mm-hmm. you're reading mm-hmm. their story on their website and you want to know more, which very rarely happens. So they use stories and they use stories in their induction process. Good, The good companies share a lot of good stories in their induction process. So mm-hmm. how do we keep them coming? I, w- I worked with a company in Vietnam and they, it's an investment company uh, and they they share to try to get people to invest in their invested companies. They literally pull the investors together and share stories and and share stories of things that have gone wrong because they can be the really powerful ones. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, check out those. Yeah, well, I encourage everyone to get both, well, all of your books really but no, they I, just, I, no you don't need to get all just <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna if it's gonna start anywhere i'd go for those two magnetic stories and stories for work that's probably the two the two favorites yes yes well a couple of things that you're sharing uh, one of my first jobs when i was a teenager i worked at disney um at the park in, in anaheim california and they did such an amazing job of on it was the best training i've ever received in any career. Well, I, I worked for Mars for 27 years, so I only had one career, but really it was the best training I had received because they told us the story of Disney and they told us the, why he built the park and his journey to building the park. And we had to memorize the seven dwarfs and we had to know the stories and the stories behind the stories. And it was just so interesting. I'll never forget it. It was such an amazing onboarding process. And, and just like you're talking about, when stories have when stories are shared during that process, it makes you feel really connected to the company right away. So yeah. that induction process that you're talking about is so important. And I also recall, I'm assuming you're familiar with this. Uh, I went to a storytelling workshop and they talked about, and I'm probably going to botch a few of the details because I don't remember exactly, but there was this guy who basically did an experiment where he bought things for a dollar or $2 on eBay. And what happened was, is he bought, I want to say $200 or $500 worth of stuff. And it was kind of junk stuff. It was like, you know, a pig piggy bank and something like that. And he bought the stuff for like, like I said, one or $2 each. What he did is he hired writers to tell a story. And and these weren't real, these weren't real stories. They were fake stories, but he, he hired a writer to tell the stories about the articles and then reposted them on eBay. And I think he made $5,000 or something like that. He made a lot more money because there was a story attached to the article that he was selling. And again, talking about the power of story. So I'm sure you probably have better context yeah, than but it, what it I is, do. The story gives it value. So right. the story gives anything value. So whether it's um, 
an object, the, the yep. backstory will will make, oh, this is really, you know, this is it's really valuable. It's it's why, you know, someone you can buy a basketballer's shoes that they wore at this, you know, <laughs> match and they sell for hundreds of thousand dollars. It's the shoes aren't worth that. It's the story that yeah. gives them those values. And and that's exactly what happened, Natalie. If you if you can tell the story. And so it, it's even whether it's an object or it's a company value or yeah. it's why we started the company or um that's what we'll remember. I I write I write in my book, uh, my father passed away a couple of years ago and um it was interesting. Mum was, you know, mum's going, Oh, we'll just get rid of this and get rid of that. And we'll sit there and one of us, you know, one of eight, it'll go, Oh no, can I have that? And mum's going, mm. but that's and I go, No, no, because I remember dad did this Aww. and this. And each of us had a different story. And if we didn't know that story, it wasn't any of value to us. But sure. but so there was no monetary value at all in the products. Um, but it's it's the stories that that give it value, and so that's that's why you sort of do need to know the backstory behind behind yeah. things. And it's not only like I said, it's not only things. It's as a leader, why do you do what you do? Like that backstory is valuable. If you if you're really passionate about innovation, for example, wh- why is that? And th- there's going to be a story. If you if you look deep enough, there'll be a story why you're passionate about an innovation or why you're passionate about risk management. Or so as a leader. I would suggest tap into the things that are important to you as a leader and and just think about why, where that came from. And I guarantee you there will be stories there. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. And you mentioned when people share stories, they mention a lot of jargon. And I know from you know, communication that you and I have had that we won't ever hear you say the word pivot unless you're talking about basketball. So tell us more about that. Yeah, and I did notice you said pivot earlier on, Natalie, but I let it slide. <laughs> you said I won't. The out, I won't. I won't. I won't. I won't go too hard too early. We've just met. <laughs> good. Good call. Out. I think so. I I started this thing called Jargon Free Fridays quite a few years ago, and what it is, it's a fun way to raise awareness to what I think is a pretty serious communication problem in business where we are addicted to jargon and acronyms and we use it all the time without knowing. Um, Pivot just became one of my favourites last year where every single person was pivoting. It was just like, (laughs) I remember I interviewed someone for the book and she talked about, oh, we completely had to change our production. Like they were, they they went from producing gin to producing hand sanitizers, and she goes, we kept, we had to completely change. And and then she goes, I've found out later that's called pivoting. I go, no, it's not. It's called changing. Don't <laughs> don't say the word pivot. Just stick to changing because we used to just change, and now everyone's pivoting. Um, so look, I it's a bit of fun, and the the jargon right. free Fridays is it's pretty hard to stop using jargon because most of the time we don't even realize we're using it um so just be aware of it and it's just the overuse and jargon's one thing but then acronyms acronyms just lead to miscommunication because if if i say sme to you what what do you think what's the first thing you think of when i say sme subject matter expert yeah where half your audience might think small to medium enterprise so you could be having conversations, uh, and I've had this where I've been having a conversation with someone about SMEs and wondering why we were talking about something different 
because she was talking about small to medium enterprise and I was talking about subject matter experts. So interesting. that's the problem with acronyms. And, you know, um, STIs, I grew up in the corporate world and STIs were always short-term incentives to me. But if you say that now, people think it's sexually transmitted infection. So that's that's a pretty <laughs> awkward conversation when you're when you're when you're in a job interview when you're asking someone what STIs they currently have. <laughs> yeah, and what STIs they want to earn. <laughs> what STIs would, would you like to when you come and work for us? What STIs would you be looking to get? <laughs> Yeah, that could land you in the HR that's, really that's a, quick. That's a that's a phone call from HR that you're not understanding why you're receiving. No, I, I, you know, it's so funny because when I was in corporate, we actually had a handbook of all of our acronyms. And at one point, I was just like, why do we need this handbook? Why can't we just speak normally? Why do we have to say, you know, I, I, I also saw a YouTube video at one point or a, a TikTok, whatever it was, it just making fun of all the acronyms that we use on a daily basis to where if someone stepped in a room from outside of our company, no one would know what the hell we were talking about. No one would know. And, and yeah, so companies' genius idea to resolve the problem of acronyms is to create a, <laughs> a database, probably called ACD, ADB, acronym database. And has anyone, has anyone <laughs> mid-conversation get, hang on a minute, let me just check the handbook to what you're talking about. And I guarantee you in that handbook, there'll be SME and SME twice. And all of you have to, it's just, why don't we, here's a thought, why don't we just not reduce everything to an acronym and exactly. just say it? I mean, exactly. look, if, if people understand it and you're clear they understand it, all good. But the, the more and more we speak to people, even inside our company across different departments, mm-hmm. and when you start talking to your clients, expecting them to understand your industry-related acronyms, it's just, I actually think it's really lazy and, and disrespectful and just will lead to miscommunication. So why are we yeah. using it? I agree. I think I love what you said too. And I completely agree with you, especially for new people joining the organization you know, they're already, they already have a learning curve that they're trying to, you know, grasp on themselves and then to learn all the acronyms on top of it and to not take the time to either explain it to them and just make the assumption that people know. I do find it uh, very disrespectful. And so I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. It, it actually, it actually disconnects people and isolates yes. people, which yes. w- when you're communicating, clearly that's not your intention. But that's the outcome. I, um, Natalie, do you know the word acronym only came into the English dictionary during the 1940s? And it came in the 1940s because during World War II, acronyms were used extensively for two reasons. A, because they were using Morse code, so it right. was more efficient. But the second reason was when the enemy intercepted the message, they knew they wouldn't understand what it meant. So let's think about that for a second. <laughs> We've decided that using acronyms is an efficient way to, to talk when it became popular because we were – so unless you're using Morse code and unless you don't want the other person <laughs> to understand, go for it. Yeah, I absolutely love what you're sharing. And, uh, yeah, I think we're trying to actually connect with communication, not not uh, not avoid the enemy and disconnect. Yes. So that's great. I love it. Um, so you mentioned jargon-free Fridays and encourage everyone in the show notes is all of your information. Encourage people to sign up for your jargon-free Fridays. And then you also have a free seven-day 
storytelling starter kit, which they can also sign up for. That information will also be in the show notes. So people can really get started on this storytelling journey for themselves. And I know you give them a little a video every day for seven days and, and kind of walking them through that journey. I highly suggest people pick up your book, Magnetic Stories and Stories for Work. I have them and I think they're fantastic. So thank you, Gabrielle, for sharing those with me. And I invite everyone to lean in and grab those so you can start being is, a... Is leaning jargon? Oh, leaning. <laughs> I Look at... See, you are calling me out. I love Honestly, it. I'm calling you out now. Now I can see I know, you friends. Are. I'll call you out. <laughs> so... Pick up the book wherever books there are you sold go. on Amazon or elsewhere. And, you know, just would love for you to share, Gabrielle, any last words of wisdom you have for my listeners. So, you know, the big push in the show is to turn insights into action. So what insights, you know, have you shared today that you would like for my audience to take, you know, maybe one one piece of action on this week that they can... Look, I would say if you're trying to communicate messages, both internally and externally, and whether it's just, you know, about teamwork or innovation or one of your values, think about how you could share a personal story to do that. So it doesn't have to be overly personal. It's not about, re- you know, revealing your deepest, darkest fears and secrets. It's not all about showing vulnerability and emotion. It's just nothing to do with work. So again, think of if you're passionate about something, think about where that came from and and share that story. Find the story and share it. I love that advice. I think it's very valuable. Thank you, Gabrielle, for taking the time. I know we are hours difference. What time is it over there in Australia right now? Uh, It's about 9.30 in the morning, so not too bad. Okay, so it's not too bad, but thank you for joining us. This has been a great conversation. I have thoroughly enjoyed it and appreciate your time showing up today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sandra. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Thank you.